0: So uh, we're probably not going to get far in 1 John 3 today. We're going to cover the first three verses. Because the first three verses are really three very powerful little verses that communicate a really powerful truth for us. So let's read these verses. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. 1 John is the little book toward the back of your Bible, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Father, we thank you for the gospel, the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. Father, we pray that you would take the truth of your word Lord, plant it deep in our hearts and let it bring forth a righteous harvest that would bring glory and honor to you. Lord, let this word today change us, transform us. Let it renew our mind. Let it conform us to the image of the Son. We ask this in the name of the Son and we ask it for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. We used to sing a song Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. 1 John four seven and eight. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. So as we've come to 1 John chapter 3, we've seen that John's writing this letter and he is talking about this command that they had from the beginning. Remember he said, it sounded kind of confusing, he said, I don't write a new command to you but the old command, the command we've always had. Then he turns right around and he says, a new commandment I give to you. It's the same as the old. It's, it's the one you've heard from the beginning, and it is the command to love. So we read it. When Jesus responds to the question, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? His response was quoting from the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he says, the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Also quoting from the Old Testament. So Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all that is within you. Why? Because if we love God with all that we have and all that we are, keeping his commandments or desiring to keep his commandments, wanting to keep his commandments is not going to be a problem. If we love God with all of our heart, with all that we are, Loving our neighbor is not going to be a problem. And this is why Jesus, toward the end of his life here on earth, told his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. And so love is the beginning and the end of our theology, really. To love God is to love one another. To love one another is to love one another is to love God but to understand love and what love is we can't go to the world for our definition we've got to go to the scripture for our definition and in the little song I just sang and in the scripture here in 1 John, John tells us that God is love and he writes in this first verse "Behold, behold what love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. That, That word behold means to see, to take notice, to understand. So John's writing here, behold, see and understand that the love the Father has given to us has made us children of God. The love the Father has given has made us children. Listen to Jesus, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why did God send the Son? Because he loved the world. That means regardless of your race, regardless of your age, regardless of your social status, Regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, an adult or a child, God loves you. He loves the world. He doesn't love just a certain ethnic group of people, He loves all the people that make up the world. And his family, his children, will be represented by every color, every race, every tribe, every tongue throughout the world. That's what Jesus meant when he said, God so loved the world. As he spoke that to the Jews, God loves the world. Listen to Paul's Words from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. In this little letter we're studying through, in chapter 4, verse 10, John writes, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Or in the Gospel of John, John writes, he came to his own, that is Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are made children of God, not because we loved God, but because he loved us. Just as you became children of your parents when you were born of them, we become children of God when we are born again of God. And you are born again of God because the Father has given this love. And it is this love that has made us children of God. Then he goes on. And he says, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Therefore, because we are children of God, the world does not know us. It does not have the ability to understand who we are because it did not know him. Never think that you're not being clear enough and you're trying to help people understand your Christianity, your faith in God. You'll hear people say things like, well, don't you think you're carrying that faith thing a little too far? My life was so radically changed when I came to faith in Christ, even my family, who would have considered themselves God-fearing people, would tell me things like, well, you know, you can even love God too much. Now, they said that with well-meaning intention, but they didn't really have a clue what they were saying. Because they couldn't understand how my life could so radically change. And they literally became worried about me. That I had gone off the deep end. My best friends from college, my roommates when I was at the University of Texas, thought I had literally lost my mind. Because I stopped drinking. I stopped drugging. I stopped going to the clubs and hanging out. All hours of the night and they were seriously worried about me. And I would try to explain to them what's happened to me and they just couldn't understand it. It would have saved me a lot of time and effort and frustration if I would had just known that this scripture is in here. Because what John is literally saying to the believers is this, The world does not know us, therefore the world, because it can't. He's not saying this is just a big misunderstanding. What this literally is saying is they are not capable of knowing and understanding what has happened to us when we are saved. They can't know us because they don't know him. John fifteen eighteen, Jesus said to his disciples, literally in the hours before he is taken and arrested and ultimately crucified, he's telling his disciples this, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He's, he's preparing them because he knew what was going to happen to his disciples. They were literally going to be hated, hunted down, and killed. And church history tells us all except for the apostle John was martyred for their faith. And Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And they watched Jesus crucified. They watched the cruelty of the men who mocked him, of the soldiers who drove the nails through his hands and his feet. They saw what had happened to him when he was scourged and the skin was literally ripped off of his body to the point that he did not even look human hanging on the cross but he looked like a, just a swollen, bloody pile of meat nailed to that cross. And why did that happen to Jesus? Because the world hated him but it also happened to Jesus because the Father loved the world and sent His Son to die so that whoever would believe, would trust in Him, would have eternal life. It was the cruelty and the hatred of the world that crucified Jesus, but ultimately it was the love of the Father that allowed that hatred and that cruelty to be inflicted upon His Son. John fifteen twenty one. but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. John sixteen three. and these things they will do to you because they do not know the Father, nor do they know me. So try as you might to make the world understand what it means to be a child of God. They do not have the ability to know you because they do not know him. John eight forty seven. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says these words. He, he says to these religious leaders, he who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. And in John ten twenty six, he says, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, they do not know you and they do not know him because they are not of him. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. If you have been born again of the Spirit, you're in this world, but the Bible says you're not of this world. There is a fundamental difference between you and who you are and the world and who it is. And then in verse 2, John says something so simple yet so powerful. He writes this, beloved, now we are children of God. The word beloved there is reemphasizing the love of God that has been given to us by the Father. The same love that made us his children by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He is affirming that they are beloved of the Father. I want you to know today that you are beloved of the Father. Not because you get everything right, because we mostly don't get everything right. You are beloved of the Father in spite of all that is wrong. Beloved, now we are children of God. The death of Christ was ordained and allowed in the Father's love. And in Christ we are beloved in the Father. We are sealed in that love of God by the Holy Spirit. God didn't just speak of his love. He sent his son to demonstrate that love. The son spoke of the love of of the Father for Him and for those who would believe in Him. But He didn't just say that with empty words. He ascended to the Father and then He poured out the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you that bears witness with your spirit that you are children of God. He didn't give us an empty promise. He gave us a promise and then a guarantee. The Holy Spirit. Now we are children of God. We are not waiting to become his children. We are not auditioning to become his children as we work through this life. We are his children now in this present time, in this present age, and for all eternity in his love. If you are his child now, you will never not be his child He will never cut you off. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. If you are his child, you are eternally safe and secure knowing that he is your father and that you are his child. Isaiah 56.5, the prophet writes, Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Wow, that's powerful. That's the prophet Isaiah writing of the day When Christ would come and the covenant that Jeremiah spoke of, the covenant that Isaiah spoke of, that covenant would be ratified, would be made real and enforced by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the covenant we live in now. That's the covenant we have now with God so that God has made a place within his house, within his walls and given to us a name that is better than that of sons and daughters. He has given us the name of his very own son. Romans 8, 15 and 16, Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That is the spirit God has given to you, poured into your heart, as a guarantee that you will always know, always have the assurance that you are his child. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Now we are children of God, but we will not remain as we are now. Now that just makes logical sense, right? Look at all these babies sitting in here in this room. There was a day when every one of these babies were born. And some of these babies aren't far from their birth. But the moment that baby is born, actually the moment that baby is conceived in the womb, do you realize that from the point that baby is conceived, it it is not the same? It is constantly changing. Now through the miracle of science we can literally track and watch the development of a fetus of a child I hate that word I use it out of habit because your baby in the womb is not a fetus it's a child there's a medical term but let's call it what it is it's a child and that child doesn't start to change and develop once it's born. It starts to change and develop the moment it's conceived. And John says, we are children of God now, but we shall be something else. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know this, we're not going to be what we are today. We are children now, but we are being changed into something that we do not know what it is yet. It's like that child. It's born, and we can watch over the course of its life. It changes, grows, it matures. That's what believers do. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So he says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Now this isn't just speaking of a changed physical body. Do you realize this is why the Bible, if you read closely, you'll see the Bible talks of our salvation in three parts. It speaks of our salvation as something that has already been completed. It speaks of our salvation as something that is in progress. And it speaks of our salvation as something that will be completed or revealed one day. So spiritually you are already saved. And because you are spiritually already saved, your salvation is is a done deal. You are living right now in this world, in this earth, and you are growing day by day, whether you realize it or not. You are changing day by day, whether you realize it or not. It is God, the Holy Spirit in you, that's bringing about this change, and you are growing up spiritually in Christ as a child of God, whether you realize it or not. You may feel like you're taking, you know, backward steps, Remember the little story we read to the kids a couple of weeks ago when you build a big building, it seems like you go backwards first because if you build a great big tall skyscraper you've got to dig a great big deep hole in the ground. The goal is to build a building that's going to go way up but before we can go way up, what must we do? We must dig a deep hole in the ground and it may seem like we're going the opposite direction but in reality we're just Preparing for what's ultimately going to take place. This is exactly how God works in our life. God takes our failures, He takes our suffering, He takes our pain, He takes our struggles, He takes our mistakes, He takes our sin, and He uses it because He is building something, He is growing something, He is growing up His children. And change is taking place. And we know that we're being changed. And we know that we're going to be changed into something one day. But we don't really know what that is. But we know this. When he is revealed, we shall be like him. Now this isn't just physically, in fact. I think it's not talking mostly about physically like him. We're not going to look like Jesus, not going to have the same color hair as Jesus, not going to have the same color eyes as Jesus. What does it mean to be like him? It implies that we are like him in our spirit, in our soul, in our mind, and in our will. And because of that grace-filled transformation in us, in our spirit, and in our heart, we have the promise that one day, even this corrupt, body will be changed. This body that's dying right now, this body that had tons and tons of curly hair years ago, doesn't have any right now. Why? Because my body changed. This body that has gray hair now used to be not gray. This body that can't jump as high and run as fast, and not nearly as far as it used to be able to. Why? Because this body is corrupt. It's immortal. It's running down, literally. But the promise of God is, as part of our salvation, we're going to receive a new body one day. We get all excited about the new body. I want a new body. I want my knees to not hurt anymore. I want my back to not hurt anymore. I, I, I'm ready to run and jump and not get tired. And, and I am too. But that's not just what John is talking about here. We need to look like him. We need to be like him in more ways than just having a glorified body. In fact, we'll never have the hope of that glorified body if we do not become like him in other ways. And the first Part of that is to be born again, that we are born of God. And if we're born of God, and the life of God is in us by the Holy Spirit, then our life should begin to look like his life. Our conversations should begin to sound like his conversations. Our walk should begin to look like his walk. Romans eight eighteen and 19. For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us, in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We should eagerly wait for it and look for it. But there needs to be something changed within us first. That is the new birth. God has purposed his glory in all things. His glory will bring about our ultimate glorification. And that means we shall one day be changed from this present temporal condition to an eternal glorious condition being conformed to the image of his son, spirit, soul, and body. Paul writes in Romans 8, 29 and 30, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified. This is our destiny, it's glory. Because God is all about glory. He does everything for the purpose of his glory. We will be glorified one day. 2 Peter 1.4 which, But which have been given to us is that which is by glory and virtue, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Because of his promises, because of his divine glory and virtue, he has caused us to become partakers of his divine nature. That means what's in us needs to come out of us. Love in, love out. Righteousness in, righteousness out. Forgiveness in, forgiveness out. God has loved us, we must be able to love one another. God has forgiven us, we must be able to forgive one another. It has nothing to do with whether they deserve it or not. Because remember, we did not deserve his forgiveness. God works in us. As he works in us, we're being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is what John is writing. Paul writes, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Then in verse 3, he says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure knowing who Christ is, knowing his love, knowing his righteousness, knowing his holiness, his grace and his truth, knowing that we shall be like him, conformed to his image and his life, knowing that we have been changed and we are being changed and that his promise is that one day we will be like him. We have this hope. That's our hope. Remember Philippians 1.6, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ. Who began the work? God did. Who will complete the work? God will. How do we know we will be, we have been our being and will be changed? Because God has given us his promise. This is our hope. And in this hope that comes from his promise made sure by his resurrection and his ascension, We purify ourselves just as he is pure. Well, how do you purify yourself just as he is pure? How do I purify myself just as he is pure? If we're not careful, we'll we'll understand this incorrectly. Because John is not writing that we have to justify ourselves, that we have to earn our own salvation. He's saying, If we have this hope, if we have been given this love, if Christ is in us and we are in him and the Holy Spirit's been poured into our hearts, then our life is going to take on that reality of who he is and we will purify ourselves even as he is pure. The best way that I can understand this is... My, my little grandkids do this sometimes. They'll come over to my house. And uh, Ephraim, Noah, Gideon, Benjamin, Simeon, they'll come over to the house. And they'll go into my closet. And they'll get my sport coat. And they'll get my dress shoes. And they'll find one of my funny little hats I wear. And they'll come in. And they'll say, look, I'm Papa." and have my coat on, it'll be dragging the ground, he'll be tripping over himself trying to walk in my dress shoes. And Then inevitably, one of them's going to come out too and say, I'm Gigi, and that's okay. What does it mean for us to purify ourselves just as he is pure? Watch a child dress up and act like the parent they love. They put on their clothes that are too big, their shoes that are awkward to walk in, and they imitate the words and the behavior of that person they love to look up to. It is a far from perfect imitation, but that's not the point. God's not looking for us to imitate him perfectly because he knows we cannot. But the question is, do you have a desire and do you try? And in your mind, do you think you are imitating him? The point is that they sought to imitate the one they loved. And their focus is not on how perfect their imitation was. Their focus is on how pleasing the imitation was. Why, did, why, why do grandchildren come out and say, Look, Papa, I'm Papa. Or look, Gigi, I'm Gigi. Look, Grandma, I'm Grandpa. Look, Dad, I'm Dad. Dressed in your clothes. Wearing your shoes. Why? Because they want to please that parent let's go back to the first and greatest commandment to love God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength what's in your heart is your heart to please God in your effort to please God are you always going to be perfect are you going to be any, anywhere even close to perfect no not when the measure of perfection is God's perfectness You will not. You will fall infinitely short. But is your heart in love with him? Is it to love him? Is it to please him? And so you imitate him. You walk as he walks. You talk as he talks. You read his word and pray and meditate and seek to be more and more and more like him. And yes, you will fall short. But that's not the point. The point is your love for him. And why do you have love for him? Because he put love in your heart. He put his love in your heart so that you could return that. But now here's something we also realize. There's going to come a point in time in my grandson's lives when they're going to be as big as I am and they can walk in my closet and put on my sport coat, put on my dress shoes, and put on my jeans and they will actually fit. And their imitation of me can be much closer than the real. And what made the difference? They grew up. They matured. What makes the difference in our imitation of Christ? We grow up and we mature. And as we grow up and as we mature spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically, we become more and more and more like him. Let me read from you before we close. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. To purify himself is to to seek to live as Christ-like as possible. This is what Paul is saying. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not... On things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth: fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But Christ is all and in all. This is our hope. This is the promise This is our life with Christ in God. May we seek to walk worthy of him and the hope we have in his love. In our love for him, our love for one another, and all the while knowing that his grace is all sufficient in the face of all our weakness. I want to invite you to get ready to come to the table. And as we prepare to come to the table, let me remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. In verse 29, he says, We are to discern the Lord's body, the body that is all of us. We are the body of Christ. We all have blemishes, we all have failures. We all have failings. We all have success. And those things vary from one to another. But here's what unifies us. Here's what brings us all together it is this table, it is that bread, it is that cup, it is what that represents. It is the Lord Jesus. Because in spite of all of our diversity, in spite of all of our failings, in spite of all of our successes, What makes us all equal is the Lord Jesus Christ because none of us were deserving of his grace, yet he gave it. None of us earned a place at this table. He gave us a place at his table by his grace. And this is exactly what Paul meant when he says, Discern the body of Christ. Look around you, church, at the body. Some are sick, some are suffering, some are struggling. This is the body of Christ. Some are strong, some are able, some are weak, some are not. This is the body that comes together to walk with Penny and Billy as they battle cancer. This is the body that comes together to uphold those who are struggling with with their failure and their falling down. This is the body that doesn't turn people away. This is the body that embraces those in weakness because we all know It's only by His grace. And we all should know that His grace is sufficient. So come to the table. Let's stand. You have a hope. Your hope is in Christ. In Christ you have been changed. You have been transformed. And made brand new. You are called a new creation in Christ. Your charge is to walk as a new creation out of the love for your Father. You are charged to become a disciple and to go and make disciples. The gospel is not something God gave you to keep hid away. The gospel is what God gave you to shout and to show from the rooftop. You are charged to share the gospel The gospel is the power of God, to salvation. It brings hope to the hopeless. It has the power to radically change a life, your life, my life, and the life of those you share this gospel with. You are charged to be a carrier, a messenger of this hope in this world to be so infected with hope that you become contagious to those around you. Walk in this hope. Purify yourself as He is pure so that your imitation of Christ and His life in you will be manifest in the power of His Spirit. This is your charge. This is our charge as His children so that Christ in you will truly be seen as our hope of glory and the only hope we have in this world. Amen.